Let Lita take you on a journey of faith, life, travel, and interior design. Take your life out of the status quo and into 2020. Status Life with Lita is brought to you by Status Home Design and by the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HERT. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Status Life with Lita on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. On every episode of Status Life with Lita, we'll take you on a journey of faith, life, travel, and interior design. Lita has over 20 years working as an interior designer, and now she is a full-fledged lifestyle expert, podcaster, and blogger. Lita's, Lita's mission is to bring you her knowledge and her fun teaching ability to help each of us design a life we love. Are you okay? I did say leader, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> you said leader. Because uh, I, I started to laugh. And, and I'm laughing in the intro. And leader came Hey, out. guys, I'm leader. Hey, leader. <laughs> okay. I've now now I can get back on my, um, yeah, All my, right. my beginning. Let's go, Mr. Professional. Right, so scratch that. Okay. Lita, Thank not leader. <laughs> my name is Derek Hayes, and it's my pleasure to introduce the star of the show, Lita Brooks. Mm -hmm. Good afternoon, leader. Hi. Good I, afternoon. I started to laugh. That was funny. Came oh, we out. just laughed through that one. Yeah, well, that's oh, well, all right. That's all right. <laughs> That'll be a blooper reel if there is yes. one. Yes, that's a good idea. I, well, that it would be a very short blooper reel, I think. Well, hi. How are you? Uh, doing well. I coming off the uh, the staff Christmas party you had yesterday. We come off a few parties. Well, yesterday I've was phenomenal. Last weekend yeah. you had the Winter Wonderland. You had Santa. You had mm -hmm. all kinds of things going on. It's just it's been a season. Um, we're in December right now. I know a lot of people might be listening to this in the future, and that's fine. But as it's being taped right now, uh, we are in the height of the Christmas season, and we are trying to do this the best of our ability with COVID and having to socially distance. But we did make it possible to bring in Santa. Uh, I have just a beautiful, beautiful Santa friend, and he came to the store, and we made it happen. We made the magic happen so all the kids could get to enjoy that without a partition, without glass between them, uh, without Santa having to wear a mask. The so, choice of the mask. Oh, families could. Yeah. Right. It was up to each family. We did it as a private party, and everyone had the option to socially distance. Or And then we had the chairs set apart from Santa, but they still were able to get their pictures, and he spent time, tons of time with each kid. So that was really nice. And Lita always does the parties right. She also had ornament stations for the kids to, to uh, create ornaments. She had mm -hmm. coloring stations, letters fun. to Santa, all kinds of cool things, even the parents. You, you know, there's a lot that I have learned because I do throw so many events. I throw at least a party a month and a big one. And... Event planning, interior design, it those two really go hand in hand. You had, you know, decorating and the food and the entertainment and the music and it's uh, that is a job and and it is something that I think is very fascinating. But now again, I'm in it so I can kind of throw a party with ease. But, you know, always the moments before, the, exactly. the hairiest, you know, right. just like an interior design job. The day of install is always, uh, you're very frazzled, you might not sleep the night before, you want everything to go right. It's the same as throwing a very large party. Or the same as the night before trial. Okay, for you. Getting so Derek is trial, an attorney. Yes, if you're listening to this for the first time, this is Derek. He's my sweetie. I will introduce him. Uh, he's an attorney. 
but he sits on this show as the host, and this is Status Life with Lita. So what better way to jump into our life um, is to put Derek on the show. Exactly. And yeah. for today's show, kind of a part two of a prior show, I'm in the hot seat. No, you're not. No. I'm no, 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 no. Okay. Last time you were a little more, I could tell, you guys can't see because this is a podcast. His body language was very kind of closed up. Uh, we are on the topic of decluttering and purging. And we have a phenomenal guest. She was with one of this show. Her name is Julie Spencer Rankin. She is coming to us today. She is not in studio as Julie lives in Kentucky. And with COVID and things right now, it is more difficult to travel. But we are very blessed to have her again. Her knowledge is absolutely incredible. Julie is a psychotherapist and a life coach. Julie, are you here with us? I am. Hey, welcome back. Hey, Julie, it's good to talk to you again. Thank you. All right, Julie, I told our listeners a little of your credentials, but I know they are much more extensive. I'm going to turn it over to you to tell all of our listeners your expertise. What brings you on the show today? Yes, I am a licensed professional clinical counselor. I am a psychotherapist in private practice here in the beautiful bluegrass area of Kentucky. So I do see clients face-to-face to work on a variety of issues. I am also a life coach, but I have had a passion for all issues related to possessions. I have been studying the psychology of what we have and why we have it for years. And I am currently working on a book. So um, last time we really got a nice start, I think, on this thing called decluttering, which is very challenging for most people. It really is. And it was the eye-opening portion to me because this is why I wanted to do a series. And, and let me say this. When I had the idea for the show, it's because Derek and I were going through decluttering and the purging process of selling a home and moving. And I realized how difficult it was because I myself do not struggle with purging and decluttering so there's some psychology behind that but Derek you referenced that you sit in the hot seat but it's because you do I don't even want to say struggle because from the last show this is really something that is is a good thing and and some of the things that you collect uh, are tied to your personality and again I'm not going to go through the last show but it was very eye-opening for Julie to kind of break us down as a couple and realizing we had just scratched the surface. There's so much more to talk about. Oh, absolutely. And you, um, I, I guess you got that check I sent you this week where you were oh, going to make sure that you told Lita that everything I own is wonderful. And, yeah, right. And exciting and collectible. Well, we're going to get to that. <laughs> we have we have a lot more to cover. But I do want to, just to reiterate one of the points from the last show, and not to go too much in depth, but can you kind of give us a bullet point answer to the differences between hoarding and collecting? Absolutely. A lot of people are always worried about where they fall on the continuum uh, between hoarding, clutter, and collecting. And of course, we're kind of fascinated. We watch the TV shows that where we see um, the hoarding that's just a little bit out of control. Uh, hoarding is always disorganized and oftentimes involves items that are never taken care of, always neglected always out of place in crazy ways. For example, you don't need to have a bathtub full of newspapers. Collecting, on the other hand, is usually very organized and ordered, 
And collecting is, it, people can't take care of their collections. They maintain them, they care for them. And placement is usually important. Display is important when you're collecting. You, you certainly may keep things in storage and rotate them in and out, but you're making very specific decisions about what you have and why you have it. Uh, and usually the collectors are proud of what they have and they want to connect with other people by showing them and telling them about the items that they have. And what we see with hoarding is a lot of shame and a lot of hiding. Uh, and people tend to disconnect from other people when they have that problem. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. With the shame part, I don't think we used that word in the last show, connecting, hoarding, and the shameful aspect of it. But you did say something. You specifically mentioned that hoarders can't make the categories. So we had a reference of sweaters, I think. And you said if you gave somebody 30 sweaters and had them try to put these in categories, a collector would be able to organize everything and a hoarder would not be able to. And Derek and I were, were discussing it and we, we wanted to know why. What is the psychology behind the hoarding that they can't organize this in their brain? Actually, if you think about the history of collecting, um, it became very popular in Victoria times and we actually used it to teach children how to make decisions. So a lot of collections, in fact, involve things that people start collecting from an early age on or things that tied back to childhood. But collectors are always making critical distinctions and thus being able to make decisions about, well, this is a good item, but this is a really great item. Whereas hoarders, as you said, we were talking last time, can't make those distinctions, including they can't categorize or sort. And now that we've been able to look at the brain with brain scans, we actually understand why. Wow. There is underactivity in a part of the brain called the anterior cingulate cortex. And you don't have to remember that. But hoarders definitely have deficits in brain functioning meaning the activity is not happening there, the brain is not lighting up. In areas that have to do with executive function, focusing and making decisions, uh, which makes a lot of sense. They also have an imbalance in emotion. And what we say is that collectors love what they have. And I think Derek, you and I talked last time about some of the things very special things you collect sure. that you have and enjoy. But also, I think when people hoard, the emotional is not so much about love and pride, but it's more about a feeling of loss of control, overwhelm, panic, and more fear feelings. So, so it's a very, very different, very different behaviors, very different brain activities. That's amazing. And so, I guess to piggyback off of that, you know, it seems like nowadays they can come up with medications to address certain deficits in the brain uh, in different areas that fire different ways. Is that anything that's been researched, done, or is it something that's even a consideration to uh, potentially medicate someone to address that deficit in that part of the brain? 
we're looking into that. There, we always thought there was an overlap between hoarding and uh, OCD or the obsessive compulsive disorders that we see. I could see that. And now we know that there really is not a high overlap with that. Uh, but there is a high genetic component to hoarding, which is interesting. Um, and also we find that hoarding, um, 75% of hoarders do have some form of anxiety. Now we see it uh, more common, believe it or not, with males than females and much more common over the age of 55. And we don't quite understand that. But there are typical items that get hoarded, newspapers, magazines, notes, containers, clothing. And again, there's this inordinate perceived need uh, and this fear or this panic of I can't I can't let this grocery bag go because I might need it. Now you and I can look at it and say, well, that's not realistic. You don't really need that bag and you can get another one if you need it. But there's an inability to make those distinctions. And we do think there's issues related to the uh, glucose movement in the brain. So I think at some point we will know more and we will be able to medicate more aspects of the dysfunction that's behind this. But it is fascinating. Yeah, it is. No, it really is. I like that, the critical distinctions. That that term sits with me when I'm trying to understand the why. You know, I, I happen to ask why all the time that's my why 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 i'm almost like a little kid when i ask that <laughs> so nowadays i need to use that phrase when i answer your why why would you what's a critical distinction <laughs> it's a critical distinction yes <laughs> all right we're gonna come off of hoarding and go a little more into the decluttering purging and i want to ask julie what are ch- what excuse me what challenges are associated with decluttering First off, people have a lot of fears about decluttering. They worry that they won't be up to the task. They've perhaps tried to do it in the past and struggled with it. And of course, if you worry that you're not up to the task, it's very easy to procrastinate, obviously. But they also worry that they won't be able to finish the task. And I think that's an interesting fear because in fact, decluttering does sometimes take time It's very important that you prepare mentally and physically for it and have a good space to work in it. Probably the number one fear though, is that um, you won't be able to make a decision or you'll make a bad decision, that you will regret uh, something that you release and then be, you know, wish that you hadn't done so. But another huge block to decluttering are the various forms of negative self-talk that tend to go on in people's heads when they're trying to declutter. And it's really important, I think, to know about these because you'll find yourself doing these in the process of sorting and attempting to discarding. And these are the, I call them justifiers, but they're basically rationalizations. They're things that you say to yourself that will stop the process. And Uh, The number one is the thing that I just mentioned with hoarders, which is that I might need this someday. And we call this the instrumental rationalization, meaning this item could come in handy, so I don't want to let it go. And I think the challenge for bringing items into your life and releasing them easily is to really be in tune with 
what you want, what you like, and whether an item really enhances your life and adds to it. And then building that muscle of being able to release the things that were not useful. Maybe maybe things that you were you used once but now have no need for, or maybe things that you never really used and um you, you know, you, you don't want to lose it because you feel like, well, you know, maybe I'll use it someday. But in fact, if you haven't used it by now, there's a good chance you won't use it. Sure. Things, too, that you may have in multiples. I think of luggage. You know, how much do you really yeah. need? Jackets. You know, I can understand having a few yeah. for different seasons, but uh, a coat closet that you can't get into would be too much. Um, just having everything Absolutely. in excess. But that number one bullet point that you said, I might need this, I know the feeling because I declutter very well and I get rid of it. And then there's the, oh, I, I needed it. I got <laughs> I rid of it. And now I have to go spend money. And I'm not a spender. I'm not um, overly frugal, but I'm not a shopper. I'm not a spender. Thrifty. I'm thrifty uh, to a point. But that would that would burn me that I had something in my possession and I decluttered it and now I need it and I have to go spend money to have it again. And I'll interject on a personal level. That was my parents' favorite phrase. We might need that. We, we might, my we parents might too. That. Yeah, we and might need this. I had been told by my dad. Well, I remember he said that, you know, he wasn't he didn't live through the Great Depression as a, um, an adult, but he did come along during the time of the Great Depression. And he would reference the fact that he learned that from his parents, having gone through a tough time like that, you don't want to get rid of something that at some point down the road you might need. Yes, we are a nation of savers, and you're right. It came out of the Depression and the World War II area. It also comes out of living on the land and the farm uh, background of our country because you never know what you're going to need. But going back to your true, you might regret letting something go. On the other hand, you have to think about the cost you have of keeping something. And that involves obviously the cost of space, the cost of time in terms of looking for things if you have too many coats in the closet, the cost of maintenance, the psychic cost of having more than you want. You know, many people talk about that wonderful feeling when you pack a very small bag and you go on a trip and you just kind of make do with a small amount of things yes. and how that almost feels freeing to do so. It is. That is a good that feeling, feeling to put myself right there. Yeah, that, that contrasts a lot to that feeling of opening up that closet door and having all that stuff kind of shout at you and you go, oh my heavens, how many Coke do I have? Well, in the last show, one of the notes I made, going back through my notes to get ready for today's follow-up, you said when you have something, you said, and I wrote down what you quoted, you said, you don't have what you don't see. And you were relating to that, uh, that to things that are in storage. So if it's not something that you're going to be using on a daily basis, monthly, weekly basis, whatever it may be, it just sits in storage for months, years, and it stays there. It's in a box or it's hidden. You don't really have that. You're, you're not displaying and enjoying that. Well, did this stick out for you, Derek, as a bullet point? Ah, uh, that's why. I, I mean, it. it was eye-opening, right, right? Right. And I've got a lot of things that are that were boxed up or kept away, hidden, so to speak. And so as I was packing to move out of my home, I found a lot of things. Oh, wow, I remember when I bought that. Oh, I remember that. But they were things that were not being displayed. There wasn't space to display or, or time to 
have something framed or put in a collector's box, uh, you know, sports memorabilia, those kinds of things. So uh, that's why I wrote it as a bullet point. Yeah, that that statement, that um, you concept. don't have what you don't see. You don't have what you don't see. I have a lecture that I give on using the skills from collecting to apply to your everyday life. And to your point, Derek, you know, collectors will rotate pieces, you know, also galleries and museums do sure, that. Sure. And the idea is they'll look at things for a certain period of time and then remove them out and enjoy other things. So that's one way to enjoy the things you have if you don't particularly have enough space to look at everything all at one time. That's a great point. That's something um, that, that would be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that people tend to say to themselves that stops themselves is um, that it's one of a kind and they feel they won't be able to replace it. Going back to your point of perhaps regretting if you let something go. So, you know, we sometimes have to be kind of tough with ourselves of, is that in fact the case or does the lack of use and value kind of trump the fact that yes, there aren't a lot of these, but I'm still not using it. So it still doesn't have a place in my life. Well, I do want to move on to one of the other points that we didn't get to last time completely. And we've kind of referenced a little bit today. And that is what is the process of cleaning out your stuff? You talked about a, I think a six step process. Yes. So I try to get people prepared for this because first of all, you need to determine when you function best and can do this. So preparing in terms of if you're a morning person, it's great to work in the morning. If you are not, you may want to schedule it later in the day, but you need enough time to apply to the process and you need time that when you function at your best. You also need space and, in other words, a place to work, uh, which varies due to what you're handling. You know, if you're handling smaller, finer objects, you, you want to work someplace where they're not going to get lost or you're not going to drop them. On the other hand, if you're cleaning out a garage or a basement and you're dealing with larger objects, you may need a bigger staging space to work with them. Going to that point, you need to make sure the environment you work in for decluttering is comfortable because uh, you won't stay long if you're working in a garage that's too cold or an attic that's too hot. You want to be in good shape. You want to be rested. You don't. You want to make sure your blood sugar is somewhat stable because you won't be able to make decisions if you're too hungry or too tired. You want to be able to take some breaks and monitor your energy as you go through the process. And that's because the process does take energy from you. And if you, if you aren't aware of that and or you go too fast, you can get yourself in overwhelm. And a lot of people stop decluttering once they hit that overwhelm place. I really had no idea that there was so much to it. Again, this is for someone like me that doesn't have that challenge, but wow. And Julie, I'm sure you work with people almost on a daily basis that you have to go through that portion of the checklist with. I don't know. Derek, would you need that specific of a checklist? Uh, probably. Probably. Yeah. You know, I like to map out a plan to do anything. Uh, in my practice of law, if I'm going to respond to a motion, for example, I'll lay everything out on the table and categorize my cases that I'm going to cite in, in order. Um, 
So I can understand mapping out a plan prior to getting started. Right, um, especially something that's going to be difficult. Yeah, the that's time. the eye-opening part. And I can only imagine how many people listening right now, because I have so many friends that, oh my gosh, that's my husband, that's my mother, that's my daughter, right? I mean, this relates to everyone. Yeah, um, it's time. It's, it's like you said, yeah. mental, it's physical, it's analyzing everything. It's, it's being able to kind of... I guess categorize we, we've used that phrase mm-hmm, absolutely and, and know what's uh, the best step step to start but you referenced uh, we talked before the show about a specific example of, of a garage being just full and someone trying to to deal with well it was just yeah up. it's uh, some friends and it's a married couple and one is extremely neat and tidy and just immaculate and the other one uh, keeps their spaces, designated spaces in the, the home, garage. <laughs> uh, the garage, the car, you know, just different areas of their home uh, in complete disarray. But it is organized disarray in that person's mind. So when she goes in to try to straighten it, you know, he gets very upset. He know, even though it looks to her like a complete mess, he knows where everything is. And in his mind, it's very organized. But um, th- it's a big uh, source of contention. They argue about it a lot. She's frustrated about it a lot. Um, and likewise, he's tired of her um, arguing. So, again, this decluttering and purging, I could see what Julie just mapped out as the beginning. Um, he needs to be rested. He needs to eat something, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have this couple go listen to this podcast and say, <laughs> okay, um, not, not no together. names. Not right. Together. No, I'm going to mention any names, but maybe you guys should go listen to my show uh, to show him what to do to be ready to clean out that garage. But I'm going to move forward because, Julie, that is all the stuff to lay out the groundwork to even begin the process. Now, once you begin, you create a mission statement, correct? And I'm going to let you continue from there. Because number one, you create a mission statement on what, what would that be? The purpose, what you want to achieve by the decluttering? Yeah, we started to talk about that a little bit last time. But it's really useful to decide what it is you're going for. In other words, do you want a, a junk drawer that, you know, maybe has junk in it, but maybe, you know, it it has the types of things that you need to grab really quickly, you know, like a little bag of first aid stuff or a hammer or, you know, a bottle of aspirin or something. But the mission statement of what you're creating, whether it's the type of junk area, uh, what you want in a china cupboard, what do you, what do you want to achieve if you declutter a room? How do you want to live in that room? Uh, What feeling are you going for? or in your storage spaces. And and tying back to your point about garage, there are areas of the house that are sort of danger zones, attics, basements, garages, sheds. It's harder to work in these areas, uh, usually because you've got things in there that you've stored for a longer period of time. And they're also more full of items that are either seasonal, meaning you only use them occasionally, you know, so, hey, I might need it next Christmas. Or or you do only use it at certain times of the year. So it's much harder to assess the value of them. But that mission statement, whether it's how do we want to live in this house or how do I want my home office to function or how do I want my china collection to be, will help you start to determine what's most important. 
That's right. You asked Derek that question, and I, both of us, right? You said because we're moving into a new home, uh, specifically what we wanted it to look like. That was a really good exercise. And then we talked preparing mentally, preparing physically, analyzing all your things. I'm just going through the checklist, asking power questions. Uh, Julie, give us some power questions. What What would someone that's feeling very overwhelmed, what would some questions be that they need to ask themselves? Well, I like questions that kind of cut through things. And probably one of the most famous power questions that we've heard from Marie Kondo is, does it spark your joy? The problem is a lot of people don't know what their joy is. So I ask people to ask themselves, do I love this? And what I mean by that is, am I absolutely drawn to it? Do I absolutely adore it? Do I love it? But then another important question, a power question is, does it work? now because i think many times when we're trying to determine the value of an object and whether it fits in our life today we've got to be able to assess did it work then does it work now will it work in the future i might love all of my uh suits you know from my go downtown and work in an office day but i may never plan to do that again in my career So then I'm going to have to sort of judge, well, how much do I love it? And do I want to keep a little bit of this just for memory's sake? Because I'm probably not going to wear all these suits again. And the last power question that I think is very important is, does this object support my highest and best? And here's my bottom line. Possessions are supposed to enhance your life and make it better. They are supposed to nourish you inspire you and help you be your best so you can go out and live your life and do what you're meant to do here and not be held back by them so asking yourself if an item supports your highest and best helps you kind of see what value that item has in your life and it may in fact be your mother's china which um, makes you feel very close to her even if she's not living Uh, or inspires you to be the woman that she was. Or it may be something else that motivates you to go out and make a difference every day. But I think determining if you love it, if it works, and how it adds value to your life will help you make that tough decision about what value it does provide for you. Right. Well, one of the other things, too, is you, you referenced using the tricks of the trade, uh, for example, a pro. And I'm thinking, uh, sitting across the table from me, is a pro at interior design. And sure. So and I've, utilizing- I've been asked, yeah, many times to come in and help someone. Not having this specific checklist from a psychologist, I think this is going to That's transform gonna right. what I do. Absolutely. I come in with a design perspective, and I'm looking at things I sort of declutter very naturally, and and the light bulb just went off. That's probably why it's so easy for me. I have this edit button, but I get paid to do this <laughs> well, for other yes, people. You do. You, do. you know, I mean, that's part of my career. Yeah, what I would say is because we have our possessions, and then we have how we keep them. And right. you as an interior designer, Lita, you're constantly thinking that where are they going to go? How are they going to look? So that naturally helps you edit or simplify what's there. But someone who's not geared to think that way, you know, is kind of back at, at square one. 
Uh, tricks, though, Derek, include um, separating things in thirds and putting the third that you like the most, the third that you like the least, and then everything else in the middle. And then you can keep what you like the most. You can delete the stuff at the bottom, and then you can look in the middle and, and just choose in that. Well, that's an interesting um, exercise. I, I can imagine doing that with a lot of things. I know. I'm thinking, why didn't we know that when we just boxed <laughs> right. up your whole house? Well, we, we since it is Christmas time, we'll be kind of consolidating Christmas decorations between your home and mine, and we can divide them into thirds. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> mine will be in the bottom third, I'm sure. They're guy decorations. They're sports-related yeah. Christmas tree decorations. So All right. Yeah. We're chuckling about this, but I want to do a little exercise here. Okay? Here's what we're going to do. So, Julie, you are a licensed therapist, and Derek and I are getting ready to move into our new home. So, on the last show, we really discussed the decluttering and the purging of the the past and, and selling a home and so now everything is boxed up we have two homes and we have two very different personality styles on this and so if we came to you and said hey this is what I'm saying I am coming to you and saying this I'm just letting the whole world <laughs> listen in okay this is our therapy session hey I'm really concerned because I'm afraid to open these boxes and there's going to be a lot of things that I find no value in and yet Derek does or vice versa, or maybe I have things that, that he doesn't necessarily um, understand or want to keep. And yet, even as we were doing the decluttering process, it was very frustrating. I was trying to get rid of a lot. He was trying to keep a lot. So we're going forward. It's time to put all this in one home, do this very cohesively. This is supposed to be a very exciting time in our life. How do we keep this from being very stressful? What edits do we put on this process as a couple? Right. Well, blending space or blending a home is, in fact, a real challenge because we've got two people who come into the picture with their own histories, experiences of where you've lived, what you've owned, and you each have your own set of preferences or expectations about how you would like to have your home or how you would like to live. Preferences include simple things like some people tend to follow trends and styles and like to make sure they have things that are current. Other people tend to go towards traditional things or possessions that sort of have enduring style. Some people like to be surrounded by a lot and they feel like they actually feel richer if they have a lot of things that they can visually look at. Other people get overwhelmed by that and feel that if there's too much around, they feel crowded. So one of the things I have to do with couples is kind of run them through some assessments to sort of help you figure out your own styles or preferences of both what you like to have and how you like to have it. Because I think having the awareness of it in yourself first can then allow you to communicate with your partner and eventually negotiate what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. Now, I'm going to assume the big decision has been made. You've picked your property, your home, uh, your style, and your size of it, but you've still got to negotiate the interior space and what goes in it. And the concept I use is territories which are spaces that allow you to use your things 
and store them. So territories can be set up in different ways. Uh, we always start with the idea that some spaces are common and are used by both parties or the entire family, but other spaces are more individual. If you have, for example, your own home office, that's your own territory. So you can really kind of do things in there that you'd like to do. But when you come to the living room or the great room or some of the other rooms that get used by everybody, we've got to blend territories. So we've got to make some decisions about how that's going to function, going back to our mission, how, what, how we want to feel when we're in that space, and then what do we have that we can use together to create that. And oftentimes one person takes the lead on the negotiation. It's often the woman because mm -hmm. she tends to have more definitive directions about the home, but not always. Sure, and I can see in our case, it would be. Oh, it just, will be. It will be. I mean, I, <laughs> yes. you know, that just comes very natural for me. But my fear going into this is what we talked about, the storage areas getting full very very quickly of what we the things that we can't see just because the space is there holding on to too much um there so there are elements of this that i feel perfectly comfortable with uh we we both are on the same page with what we want the house to look like and feel uh i again i can just very openly say that i'm afraid once we start opening the boxes that you know i'm i'm gonna want to part <laughs> with something he's not going to want to part with because he finds more value in it than I do. So I just, I'm, I'm anxious for the challenge of this. I'm practicing now. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Well, yes, dear. That works well. Right. <laughs> we have differences in that one person likes a lot or has more and the other person tends to be more minimal or streamlined. Uh, the other classic differences in, is in neatness. You know, one person may be inherently neater and more organized, and the other person may be a little more disorganized or kind of just like routing through a closet or a door. And for them, it's an adventure to find something. But for a person who's organized, it's not an adventure to have to go through a bunch of junk. So again, going back to this idea that learning the differences in you will allow you to negotiate how things go. Now, it, because in your private territories, you get to do what you want to do. So what I would say, Lita, is if Derek has a closet and it's full of tons of clothes and it's not organized the way you would like it, that's his closet. He gets to do that. Ooh. <laughs> but he may not I'm sorry, can, get, you, can you repeat ah. that, please? <laughs> Yikes. Uh, let me record that as my ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, and it's, it's kind of like shared closets don't work, quite honestly. But it, at the same time, if you have a drawer of kitchen utensils that you both use, uh, and one guy doesn't want it to be like an adventure to pull it out and try to figure out what's in there, then you've got to compromise somehow. I will say this, our new home... We have his and hers walk-in closets in the master bedroom. And even better than that, we have his and hers master bathrooms. It's the most unique home ever. So I have my it's own fabulous. bathroom and my own closet, walk-in yes. closet, as does she. Yeah. 
So my that's nice. my master bedroom closet and my master bedroom bathroom. I heard you say that, that's my territory, right? right? That is. Yes, that is. That's your territory. It'll be decorated with all kinds of sports memorabilia. No, and I will. That's all I keep thinking about is the basement, and that it's just going to be overrun. And that's going to have to be your territory, but yet it's shared space. (laughs) And I just, you know, he's got this overwhelming passion and affinity for his college. And I don't understand it. I don't, didn't go there. I don't care. Like none of this is even remotely relevant to me. And yet we probably have an entire storage unit that has to fit in the house somewhere. That scares me. There's also art. And we talked about it last time. We did. I I do collect art. And it, but it's not anything I would ever put in the house. Okay. See, Julie, help, help. <laughs> Weigh in here, please. Give us some guidance. You know, we talked a little bit last time about identity. You know, what we have is tied to who we are. And the fact is you can compromise and you can make decisions. You can release things or you can say, okay, for example, Leach is not a, not into the Alabama stuff, so it can stay in the storage unit. But on the other hand, if that's what Derek loves, and if that brings up great joy for him, then there has to be a way to find a place in the house for him to have it. Now, I don't know how much he has. Mm-hmm. And again, we may have to go back to a collector's attitude about picking the best of the best and letting him enjoy all of that. You can give up something for the other person, but you want to make sure that you're making the choice because it is, in fact, your choice. You don't want to just give up something or, for that matter, buy something that the other person wants and give in because those are the kind of decisions that down the road people start to regret and or kind of have resentments about sure it can yeah, create all kinds I, of friction i don't want that and and that's the fear part and i saw it even when we were packing up and going through the decluttering process and realizing you know wow there's there's a lot here and even digging in in two shows I, we could probably do five more there's oh, just absolutely. so you know much great content here to learn um, but there are things, Julie, you're saying, and he'll perk up, and then <laughs> he'll go down. And there are other times I slouch and in my seat. Too. And he'll go down. So I do want to ask one more question. I know what time's, time's kind of running short right now, but I do want to ask one more that really is something I've been thinking about as we've been talking. So we have lots of listeners, lots of people that uh, follow the podcast uh, in every episode, and I know we're looking forward to this episode. So if you're someone who you feel you struggle with the problem of decluttering, hoarding collecting uh, or a loved one has that issue when do you feel like they need to decide to make uh, the decision well to, to decide to seek professional help that is a great question there there are a couple of hallmarks that we say kind of cross the line where you can't do it on your own and you need some professional help and by the way oftentimes i'll help clients with you know the best resources to help them do it on their own But if you get to a point where you actually cannot make a decision and you are overwhelmed with choosing, you need a professional. The other point that that tells you you're at that place is if you can't let go. If despite your decisions about what has value and what needs to go, you cannot release the items, then you need to talk to a professional. Uh, Many times I have to work with people because there are deep emotional issues attached to the inability to let something go. 
Another red flag is if you are going into overwhelm immediately and you stay there when you're trying to declutter um, and you, you can't, you can't make any headway and or you find yourself always procrastinating about the decluttering. We also suggest that people who have extreme disorganization, and this is not necessarily hoarding, these are many times very creative people who have a lot of stuff, but the way their minds work, they can't really organize it. They're a little bit all over the place. They tend to need a professional. And then of course, people who struggle with hoarding need professional help. And professional help comes in the form of interior decorators like Lita, um, professional organizers, therapists who can work with um, the emotional issues. And then of course, if the issues are a little more extreme than that, you know, we can also look at other medical professionals, which is usually what we have to bring in with the hoard. Thank you. And I, we were just kind of chatting about that even before the show today about the professional help steps and all the ones you mentioned are, are great first steps to take if someone really needs that additional help. Before we go, though, too, I'd love for you to tell everybody how to, to reach out to you if necessary. Well, the easiest way to find me is to Google my full name, Julie Spencer Rankin, and you'll find all kinds of contact information. I am on Facebook, but my phone number and address are listed as a national provider. And uh, anyone who's interested or has some questions or needs some resources, I would be very happy to talk to. And I know you're in Kentucky, but you referenced in the first show that you have uh, clients, patients throughout the uh, country. I do. And the great thing about our technology today is, you know, uh, people can send me pictures of their homes or what they're working on specifically. And we can work via Zoom and we can get it done. That works in your career being a psychotherapist and that that can also work with me as an interior designer our technology has completely transformed being able to give virtual assistance i love that you're doing that and i fully anticipate you're going to hear from derek in about two weeks <laughs> as we are trying to do this process as the moving truck pulls up to the house or i'm gonna call and go you gotta talk to him we're gonna <laughs> break up <laughs> We're going to give you the follow-up on this. And all of our listeners, too, you guys are on this journey of Status Life with Lita. Uh, that This is what this is. This is our life. And we're going to dig in here and put ourselves out on this platform. Uh, but we know that we relate to pretty much everybody in some way. Julie, thank you again for your time and for your expertise. I, I just urge anyone that has questions or needs uh, her advice and her assistance, uh, reach out. Julie is uh, phenomenal at what she does, clearly. Yeah, thank you again, Julie. I, I want to say that as well. We really appreciate the first episode and this follow-up today was terrific as well. So thank you again for being on the show. We appreciate it very much. Thank you. Lots of luck for your unpack. Well, thank, thank you. And you. as she said, you may eventually be on my speed dial. I don't know if you know it yet or not, but you could. Yeah, I know. Just get ready for the text messages. So I will make mention of this, Derek, uh, and to all of our listeners, Status Life with Lita, we w I will be documenting the whole thing. This house is getting some pretty serious renovation. We're taking a very traditional brick home and turning it into a transitional home. What does that mean? It means it's not modern. 
and it's not traditional. It's, it's a style called transitional. So it's a red brick home that's going to get painted white. All the brick is going away. The stonework is being added. The whole the columns, The whole different. front facade is going to change. Uh, it's going to be quite the transformation. And I'm going to document the whole thing and have our listeners and viewers and my blog subscribers get to make some of the decisions. So I will be putting out what color, what light, and uh, letting, um, letting my followers kind of go on this journey with me. A blog and a vlog. Correct. Blog, vlog, the vlogger. vlogger. Yeah. Anyway. Again, thank you, Julie. And as I said, you may wind up on speed dial. But Lita, I do want you to close up by telling everyone how to reach out to you if necessary. Yeah. So where I will be posting and sharing all of this, statuslifewithlita.com. That is the blog. You can find the podcast on any podcast app. We are here at Business Radio X. You can click on the Gwinnett Studio and find us there. And also Instagram. Status. Facebook, my online store, the status market and design all I have handpicked all of the home decor on status market and design. So go to that website and shop, shop, shop away. It's terrific this time of year, too. I know you've been doing great with the store, right? The store and the uh, yeah. So I have a retail store, but if you're listening and you don't live in Metro Atlanta and that's too hard for you to get to, go to the online store. The retail store is now called we've rebranded. We are the shops at status. Wonderful shops. Yeah, status. thank you. Terrific. Well, thank you again, everyone, for uh, joining us on Status Life with Lita, presented by Status Home Design and the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Don't forget that you can enjoy any of our episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then clicking on Status Life with Lita. This program is also available in your favorite podcast app. Until next time, for Lita Brooks, I'm Derek Hayes, and you've been listening to Status Life with Lita on Business Radio X. Thank you.